Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 25 of the Delgado Podcast, a show featuring academics, authors, artists, and people who challenge the way we think and how to take action. So today's show is about God's absence, and specifically those seasons where maybe we're feeling quite distant from God, maybe even uncared for, or possibly that God's not listening or loves us. The problem of God's absence or his hiddenness is a struggle for many of us. And especially, I'm thinking about those times of crisis, those moments of pain, trauma, right? Like, those are the really, really hard times where maybe we're feeling quite alone and quite distant from God. These are the times that shake our faith and possibly even moving us into seasons of doubt and or faithlessness and maybe even becoming agnostic, right? For me, during those really, really dark and difficult seasons, the Bible passages that talk about God's love for us or God's care for us, like, you know, they don't make any sense. Like, I'm not feeling that love. I'm feeling quite distant from God. So the passages that really speak to me during those times are really those laments, right? Those protests, those passages where we see anger towards God. Like, those are the ones that make sense to me during those really, really difficult times. I'm thinking about the protests of Job, um, Jeremiah, or all those psalms where the psalmist is crying out, like, God, where are you? Or even when Jesus is on the cross, crying out to God, feeling totally forsaken. And in many ways, like when I read those stories in the scriptures about saints who have been doubtful, saints who have been frustrated with God, it makes me feel less alone and that this is just part of the journey. Now, interestingly, in the Bible, there are two books that don't have any explicit reference to God, the Song of Songs and Esther. And God's peculiar absence in these two Hebrew books can be quite unsettling. In today's podcast, we're honored to learn from Dr. Chloe Sun about divine absence in scripture and ways to navigate these difficult and dark times in our spiritual journeys. In her latest book, entitled Conspicuous in His Absence, Studies in the Song of Songs and Esther, Dr. Sun addresses these two books of the Bible that don't have any sort of reference to God. And she addresses three main questions. She asks, what is the nature of God as revealed in texts that don't use his name? How do we think of God when he is perceived to be absent? And what should we do when God is silent or hidden in our own lives? In this episode, Dr. Sun discusses the theology of divine absence and how this theology is portrayed in the biblical canon. She discusses ways theologians and academics approach divine absence in the biblical books of Esther and the Song of Songs. She talks about why many Christians read Song of Songs metaphorically as a story of God's love for the church and or Israel, even though that's not a literal reading of the text. She also gives advice for anyone who's personally struggling with understanding God's absence in our own lives. Dr. Chloe T. Sun earned her PhD from Fuller Theological Seminary and serves as professor of Old Testament and academic dean at Logos Evangelical Seminary. She writes academic and theological books in Chinese and English. Here's our conversation. I wanted to begin by asking you a little bit about like what led you 
to begin this research on the absence of God? Well, um, I have taught Old Testament theology for a while, and divine presence and absence um, have always been one of the major themes that I'm interested in. And out there, there are a lot of books on divine presence, uh, for example, in theology books or in spiritual formation books, but there are not many on divine absence. And divine absence is part of our real experience. And so I'm interested in this topic because I want to align um, faith with reality. So that, that's a major reason why I pursued this research. Did maybe your own like personal experiences with God, like impact this research? Well, I do believe our personal experience would um, shape uh, our theology and how we see things. I think for a long time, I um, I felt like I did not belong anywhere. Um, I moved a lot in my life. Um, I lived in three different countries, um, China, Hong Kong, and the U.S. I moved I think um, for over at least 25 times in my life. Wow. And that kind of, that sense of uh, displacement um, just um, made me feel like, uh, who am I and where do I belong? And so that, those questions uh, were on my mind for a long time. And, and during those times where I felt lost, um, I would think about God, God's world, um, and my position, my place in God's world. And yeah, a lot of times those uh, experiences would um, make me think about uh, if God is really present with me. So that's part of it. And there are other experiences like um, shattered dreams, unanswered prayers, or um, lost of um, uh, relationships or friendships. So those experiences um, made me question God's presence um, during those specific times. I do believe that God is present all the time, but then there are times or um, from time to time, you know, because of our current tragedy or circumstances, we would doubt God's presence. Yeah. I think about some of those traumatic periods that we go through, those periods, those experiences that where we feel alone, we don't feel protected or cared for. We feel that our prayers to God, or when we're crying out, we're not even being heard because nothing's really changing the way that we want them to. And yeah, that that's kind of the the hardest part I think in the the Christian journey is when we're faced with trauma or experiences that are very painful like moving forward and like finding trust in god when we're feeling very much alone that that is like super super hard and that's like you know the focus of your book is looking at the song of songs and esther and these passages in scripture where we don't see god operating like god isn't mm -hmm. mentioned and i thought that was a very interesting way that you went about like looking at the absence of God specifically in two books of the Bible where God is not like active. Right. Well, that's what got me interested in doing this research based on the book of um, Esther and the Song of Songs, uh, because these two books 
there is no explicit mention of God in these two books, unlike the book of Genesis, um, Exodus, Isaiah, where God is so visible and operative and active. And, and this part of God's silence um, is a part of scripture too. And I think um, my book contributes to the lack of research in this area. And that also contributes to the fuller picture of who God is, that he is both present and absent sometimes in our faith journey. So I, I actually, the, at the bottom of my um, um, research, I wanted to know God more. That's what drives me um, to study theology, to, to pray, um, to experience God. I, I want to know him more. As you're doing your literature review and just all the research, I'm curious about some of the things that you found um, as you looked at different scholars that examined the Song of Songs and Esther, things that that inspired you, things that had you look at those books differently. Well, for the book of Esther, there are a lot of writings on um, God's absence or the theology of absence in the book of Esther. And then I see a spectrum or two extremes. One extreme is that God is not there at all. It's all about human responsibility um, without God. And then the other extreme, I would say, uh, would be seeing God in Esther, intentionally seeing God in Esther and explaining everything with a with the eyes of faith that God is in this event, God is everywhere in the book of Esther. So those are the two extremes. And I'm trying to find an honest reading where I acknowledge the absence of God in the book of Esther. But at the same time, I'm not trying to imagine God is there even when he is not there. So I'm trying to find an honest reading and I actually I struggled with it. How do I maintain my faith at the same time acknowledge God is not there? Um, so there is there is a tension um, there, but I hope uh, if you read my book, you can see that tension and also find a way um, not falling in those two extremes. And for the Song of Songs, there are not much writings or research on the absence of God in that book. Um, I read one, um, can I mention other people's books? <laughs> okay, this one is by Jonathan Kaplan. Um, he did a research on Song of Songs from the early um, Jewish or rabbinic interpretations. And one of the chapters, he talked about um, the absence of the lover, the lover or elusive presence of the lover. But actually he was doing, he, he was using a metaphorical reading of that chapter in Song of Songs, chapter five. And so at the end, actually the conclusion is uh, from a metaphorical reading of the Song of Songs, God is present in the Song of Songs. Okay, so yeah, let's let's dive into that because uh, when I was okay. reading your book, when I was reading your book, I was really fascinated th at this because Song of Songs, like, and you you break down like the different ways that Song of Songs have been interpreted. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways you shared was like this kind of metaphorical reading of you can see maybe it's an image of uh, a relationship between the church and or Israel and their relationship with God. And there's like that kind of kind of metaphorical reading. And then there's also kind of like this 
other reading of it where it's uh, an allusion to maybe the relationship between how God has communion with mankind in that loving relationship. And I thought it was really interesting the way you kind of broke down these various readings. So this this like metaphorical, is this the one where it's like, where it's a picture of maybe how God loves the church kind of reading? Okay. Um, if we are familiar with the prophetic books in the Old Testament, uh, the marriage metaphor is used to describe the relationship between God and Israel. And so in, within the Old Testament, that metaphor, the marriage metaphor exists. Talking about Song of Songs, there is just too, um, too rich with uh, a long history of interpretation. And so from the metaphorical point of view, based on the Old Testament, um, a lot of people will read the male and the female characters in the Song of Songs as a figure of God and Israel. But then from a New, New Testament pr uh, perspective, because of Paul's writings, um, looking back to the Song of Songs, um, the early church fathers, for example, Origen, would interpret um, the male and the female figure in the Song of Songs as a metaphorical um, representation of God, I mean, not God, Jesus and the church. So there are different levels oh, of interesting. metaphorical reading. Oh, the Old Testament wow. and the New Testament. Ah, yeah, it's a uh, that book is fascinating. <laughs> on different levels. <laughs> that is so. That is so interesting. Like the way you broke down, like the literature, and like showed like the different points of view on the Song of Songs. Like mm -hmm. fascinated me because like growing up like at my church, like mm -hmm. the way that the Song of Songs was kind of interpreted was very much this metaphorical, this is kind of how God loves Israel slash the church. Like mm -hmm. that's how we can kind of read it. And so that was kind of my introduction. So when you were describing mm -hmm. it in your book, like that mm -hmm. way of reading Song of Songs, like that was like the, really the only way that I kind of, oh, I guess that's how you read it. Mm -hmm. Well, if you read it that way, then God's presence is throughout the Song of Songs. But then if we read it literally as a man and a woman or the, the erotic love between a man and a woman, then uh, you see this male figure is um, not always there. But then he's always there in the mind of the female character. So that comes the phrase, um, the absence um, makes the heart under. That's right. Yeah. I thought that was interesting too, the way you you wrote about when the when the male figure is gone um the female voice comes in singing out the song of desiring the male figure and you describe you used a really an interesting wording you talked about like almost as if the female figure is conjuring the presence of this male figure i was wondering if you could talk more about that that was really interesting the way you talk about conjuring presence yeah, well, um, you know, sometimes in the absence of a loved one, our thoughts are full of that person. And sometimes uh, we imagine things about what could have happened and what if. And so for the female character in the song, I think uh, in the absence of her lover, her thoughts are full of him. And she imagined things that may not be there, or she, or maybe it's a wishful thinking, or, or maybe it's a dream. Um, 
And so there are a lot of ambiguities and possibilities in Song of Psalms chapter five, that night scene. And that could be a metaphor for our relationship, our meaning, believers' relationship with God. When we sense God may not be there, then we have all kinds of thoughts about what is God doing? Is God seeing us? Um, why is this not happening? Can he hear me? You know, so we conjure sense of um, a different reality, an alternate reality, and um, trying to figure out or make sense of our experience with God. Yeah, it, it's such a it's such a fascinating book and, and not even a book that I read too often because I'm not even sure what to do with it, you know? And even like when I, when I was sharing with you, like how in my own church, our, my church would go through the Bible verse by verse, you know? So they would go through the entire book verse by verse with this kind of general illusion of like God's love for the church slash Israel as kind of like the backdrop but even that, like when you actually, as you're saying, like the literal reading of the book, like it's hard to come to that conclusion because you're like, well, this is kind of a dialogue, a relationship between a man and a woman. Well, actually, I did a research uh, um, in another um, article. I um, did a reception of the Song of Songs in the Chinese culture. And this is what I find. Um, so in, in the church setting, the traditional interpretation of the Song of Songs is the metaphorical reading. Jesus loves the church or Christ loves the church. God loves human beings. Um, that's how pastors can preach, uh, preach on the pulpit. Uh, so that could, that could be applicable to the believers. But then in the academic um, area, the literal reading is the dominant reading, not the metaphorical reading. And so that's that's um, very interesting about this book. The context of where you teach this book matters. Yeah. And, and you're saying that like in different traditions, maybe like an Asian American theology or, or Chinese theology, like how, how would the Song of Songs be read? As a Christ, how Christ loves the church. That's a traditional um, way of reading this book. And there are a lot of songs on Song of Songs in Chinese. Um, they are metaphorical, like describing uh, believers' uh, relationship with with Jesus. So they would see the male figure in the Song of Songs as Christ, and we are his bride. It, it is like as you read like Old Testament and you come across some books, and I think specifically of Song of Songs, like it's kind of curious that that was one of the books chosen to be part of the canon. Yeah. When I study the Song of Songs, I see a lot of echoes in the song um, with other Old Testament texts. Um, the Garden of Eden is one because the setting of the Song of Songs, um, one of the settings is in the garden. And this garden is like the Garden of Eden. And then there are also a lot of um, vocabulary um, that are similar to, or images too, um, that are similar uh, with the prophetic books, uh, such as Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea. And so those um, shared similarities play, place Song of Songs as part of the scripture. But then Song of Songs is using a poetic way to echo 
um, the Garden of Eden or the prophetic mm. books, uh, imageries there. But then Sound of Songs also has her own distinct um, features and voice. And so this book, uh, it's, it's, it's so special. It's, it's in the canon. It's, it echo, it's like an echo chamber, but at the same time, uh, it has it, its, its own beauty and voice. And I think this distinction uh, sets the book off uh, as a very unique and beautiful book among, among the Bible. It's, um, okay, one way I see it is in Isaiah chapter 5, there is a love song that God sang to Israel. God, God was sharing his frustration, how he loved Israel, but Israel um, did not love him back the same way that God loved her. But then in the Song of Songs, if we, if we read it metaphorically, um, describing God's relationship with Israel, then it's like Israel is singing a love song back to God as a response to God's mm. love for her. And that way, we see scriptures um, is dynamic because within the Old Testament, different books, different genres, they can actually respond back to each other and they can actually talk to each other. And, and, I, and I find that amazing. Yeah. And I, and I love what you just said about like the connection with the Garden of Eden. Like mm -hmm. I never, I never thought about it like that. I'm not the first one uh, who see the connection. Uh, I think uh, Felix Tribble is the first scholar um, who's tied the two gardens together. And I also like um, in your book how you describe like the different views on the presence of God being very, very active in the beginning. If you look at the, the Old Testament, the first few books, you have God mm -hmm. active in creation, God active in caring for Israel, right? And you, and you, and you talk about this in your, in your book, like you see very much God very, very active and there in the, in the pillar of fire, right? Um, there's all the examples of God being there with the people. But then as you progress through the Old Testament, you see kind of less and less uh, aspects of God's activity. Um, mm -hmm. And then obviously with Song of Songs, like he's not there um, in that book. And I was wondering maybe we can kind of talk about like, because in your book, you do describe different ways that scholars have looked at the Old Testament and God's presence. And as you were, as you were writing about it, I was like, oh yeah, I guess I do see that now. I never really thought about it, but I see it. Uh -huh. And so I'm kind of curious right. if you talk a little bit about God's presence and activity in the Old Testament. Well, that's part of the literature review. Um, so I read uh, different scholars and how they see uh, God's presence and absence throughout the Old Testament. And I find um, there are different trajectories. Okay, One view is to see God's presence gradually declines from being active to being not there at all. Um, so that's one way to look at it. And another way to look at it is God's presence and absence are actually coexist. They coexist throughout the Old Testament. Uh, because even in the book of uh, Exodus, where God um, is very active and visible, but there, there are times when God is not. For example, God would uh, let Moses only see his back and not his face. 
That's one example. And so the second trajectory, as I said, God's presence and absence coexist throughout the Old Testament. And then um, in, in wisdom books or in the writings, God's presence always appears in his absence. And so just there are different uh, trajectories you can see and different scholars will see God's presence and absence differently. And I find it fascinating that uh, these two books, Esther and Song of Songs, they put God's absence front and center. And and these two books are so different uh, from the rest uh, of the books in Old Testament in regard to God's presence and absence. Um, wait, did I answer your question? You yeah, yeah. Me? And actually, and actually what you just said, I want to ask you because you said something very powerful. You said, um, in one of the readings, you said, um, you see God's presence in his absence. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you can kind of like break that down. That's a very, a very powerful thing to say. Okay. Well, in wisdom books, uh, such as Proverbs or Job, um, Ecclesiastes, um, these books, they try to discern God's created order uh, in human lives. And a lot of times God's presence um, is not like he's speaking to human beings, but his presence is more like um, throughout uh, his creation. What I'm trying to say is God's presence is embedded in his creation. And if we see his creation, nature, then we can sense God's presence, you know, behind, behind his creation, but he's not visibly there talking to people. So God's presence uh, and absence uh, a lot of times are not a dichotomy, either or, but can be both. God can be present in absence and God can be absent, absence, absent in presence. Ah, I'm <laughs> trying to make sense of this um, mysterious God. Yeah, yeah. I, so, and I love you just talked about like, because you read the scriptures about, you know, the heavens declare the glory of God. And what yes, you just said, yes. like in, in nature, you're like in nature, you yeah. can see God's presence, even though you don't see God, but you see mm -hmm. kind of God's creation, which is mm -hmm. um, a way of seeing God's presence, I guess. Is that, am I saying that right? Yeah, 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 mm -hmm. yeah. That, that's what I'm trying to get get at. Another thing is um, when you think about the created order, like we human beings, we need to breathe in order to live, right? Yeah. And then the quality in the air, um, oxygen, uh, the anyways, if, if anything changes in the air, and then we're, we won't be here. And, mm. and what, holds, what holds everything together? It has to be God. Yeah. And also time, 24 hours a day. Whether you are rich or poor, man or woman, old or young, we're all equal in that sense because we are all created beings. We are human beings. We share that common hum humanity. And that also um, makes me at least realize that um, in God's creation, there is order. And this order reflects God's presence. Mm. Oh, that's really good. That's a really good reminder especially during those times where we're not feeling his presence. Yes. Looking to the order, looking to creation as a reminder that God is there holding things together. 
even though we may not feel it. Yes. I think that's the hard, I think that's the really hard thing is like, cause like the way you're describing it, like what the scriptures say, what, what we can get out of theology. Yes. God mm -hmm. is here. He's with us. But what's really hard is that the feeling that we have, mm -hmm. the emotions that we're, that we're having and how that can um, go up against like the theology and also like what yes. we're seeing. In my book, I, the first scripture that I quoted um, is from Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So David experienced the absence of God in his own life. And later on, Jesus on the cross, he experienced the divine forsakenness as well. And if David and Jesus experienced God's absence, who are we as normal not normal as common human beings you know we it's just reasonable and it's inevitable that you know believers would experience the feelings of god's absence yeah and i and i, and I do love that you point out all the laments in scripture mm. that right the the calls of job you describe those um and what you just said with david and also the psalmists who cry out like god where are you and I thought it was really interesting the way that you expressed it because you gave it a word that I have never thought about in relationship to like this feeling of not, feel, you know, not feeling God. You talk about the laments in the Psalms and you also said like sometimes they're protests mm -hmm. against God. Right. And I was wondering maybe you can kind of talk about that because I'm like, yeah, that's right. It's not just mm -hmm. a lament. Mm -hmm. Like there are these like protests. Yeah, well, I'm not the first one who used the word protest. Um, there is actually a term called protest theology throughout through this, um, these uh, lament psalms and in a lot of Job's uh, speeches to God. So protest, it's actually an act of faith. It's not complaining. It's, um, it's the faith uh, in God that God is just. But what I'm feeling is not just. So God, you need to do something about it if you're a just God. So that expresses the psalmist faith. Another um, aspect of this protest theology is that um, the person who voices the protests actually believes that God is there. That's why you know there's a voice, a lament, a protest. If God is there, then you need to answer me that kind of feeling. And so when the person says a prayer like that, addressing um, God in that way, it reflects a close intimate relationship between this person and God that he can, or he or she can actually talk to God like that, in a you know, um, straightforward manner. And, and I, I find those, those passages really relatable like, especially when I'm going through a hard time, like those are the passages that I run to. Those are the ones that make the most sense because mm -hmm. sometimes the, the passages that speak about God's care for creation or God's love for mankind, like those don't relate to me when I'm feeling very distant or right. upset at God. And so mm -hmm. it's like, I feel like David and the psalmist and Job like give me license to have this like protest yeah. at times. Yeah, yeah. Thank God for for them. <laughs> uh, I, I feel that. I feel that. So you know, as you have done so much research in this area, like 
and you and you, and I want to go back to something you said around like kind of the different views of the Old Testament and God's activity and or absence. When you look at these different perspectives on how to read the Old Testament and God's presence and activity there, and especially the first view where you said like God is very very active in the beginning, but then like less and less and less, and at the, towards the end, we don't see God there. Um, how do you look at the Old Testament now? Well, let me uh, just clarify um, the, the concept of canon. One of the trajectories in the Old Testament is to see God from being active to being inactive. Uh, but that's from a Christian canon, uh, from our the Bible that we are using. Uh, that's not from the Hebrew canon. Uh, in the Hebrew canon, it's like a circle. You know, God creates, God saves. And then people like Israel, Israel um, forsake God, and then God um, restores them at the end. So it's it's more like a circle. Mm. Um, so the writings is is like God's restoration, or God intends to restore His people back to worshiping Him. And so in that Hebrew canon, it, it the trajectory is not God being. Um, present and then at the end he disappears um, and so i'd like to clarify that oh interesting that's that's really good to hear that okay another response to uh, the question that you uh, raised uh, is that if we do see the pattern of god being active at first and then gradually um, disappears then uh, we can think about uh, human relationship um, such as um, the relationship be- the relationship between parents and children <laughs> Um, I use that metaf- metaphor in, in in my book uh, in addressing this issue. Uh, I, I have a kid. Um, I have a son. Uh, when he was young, you know, I took care of him. Um, I fed him. I took him to school. I did everything for him because he was not capable of doing all those things by himself. And but after he grew up as an adult, then I gave him space. <laughs> to do and to choose to live his own life. And so we can look at our relationship with God that way too. Like when we first came to faith, a Christian faith, um, we need to grow and we need to know God. And so God would answer our prayers or being active and present um, most of the time. But as we grow older in our faith, um, maybe God would just let us um, grow up on our own and figure things out on our own. God may give us space to just choose wisely with the resources um, that he has given us. Um, and so that that could be one of the reasons why God would be active at first with the Israelites and then gradually um, become less active. It doesn't mean that he doesn't love his people. Uh, a lot of times, maybe he just, he has other things to do. <laughs> and then he wants us to grow up and figure it out on our own. Yeah, I feel like, especially as, as we age and um, we go through different experiences and maybe lose loved ones, there's like a lot more dark nights that we go through mm-hmm. um, where we feel sometimes separated from God. I'm glad you feel the same way. And I appreciate you for reading the book so carefully. I found it very, very helpful. And I'm, and I'm actually still reading it. Um, your analysis, it's really in, 
really, really helpful to kind of see how different scholars have looked at Old Testament passages and and especially all of your research into the Song of Songs and Esther. As you now go back to these books in your own personal devotional time to read Song of Songs or and or Esther, like how have these books like changed for you? Because you have you've you've looked at these books, you've studied them as an academic, as a scholar, provided a lot of insight into how to study, how to understand these books. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you're also a Christian who wants to get devotional value and your scholarship kind of informs your kind of devotional reading. So I'm kind of curious, like, mm-hmm. as you now read, like if you were to pick up a cup of coffee and and look at the Song of Songs tomorrow, just not academically, but just kind of to, to hear from God, like how have these books kind of changed for you? Well, I'm still studying, even though I have a book out, I'm still, and that's how wonderful and powerful um, God's word is, always fresh, um, always brings something new. Um, I'm actually in the process of writing a commentary on the Song of Songs, so I'm still studying and learning something new. Well, um, I have to say, after writing this book, I haven't been doing devotionals on these two books. I'm moving on to other (laughs) books right now. (laughs) But as I um, look back on what I did, um, I think uh, I have to say, first of all, I'm proud of myself. uh, And then I'm, I'm just in awe of who God is. And I feel like there's so much about God that I still don't know um, and yet to know. And that makes my faith journey exciting because even though I've written a book on Song of Songs and Esther, there's still so much out, so much out there that I can learn. So I'm still reading um, books related to these two books. So um, to respond to your question, I'm still learning. Um, and, and there's still a lot more new things about these two books. Well, I'm excited, I'm excited to hear you have a commentary on the way on Song of Songs. That's fantastic. When you are like attending a church service and the pastor is maybe taking you through the Song of Songs and or Esther, and you've done so much research in this area, how are you kind of, uh, is it hard to like listen to a sermon, like a verse by verse exposition on these books that you studied so well? <laughs> Let me see. Um I have to acknowledge that I'm not a regular church member in the sense that I I know more than my own pastor. I hope he's not listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> I won't tell him this. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I think uh, it's a time of um, it's a time of um, being humble before God and knowing that. Um, I know more than my pastor doesn't make me a better person. And uh, there's always the spiritual value uh, in preaching God's word. So I just uh, try to humble myself and uh, still listen to something that I already know or know more. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Honestly speaking, it's a struggle. Yeah, I'm sure it is. I I was, I was just watching an interview. I don't know if you know, um, the musician, a very famous artist who passed away, um, Prince. Prince was asked, like, do you ever watch like those like 
shows where different people compete, you know, like American Idol or like Voices where you have all these young artists gonna perform songs. And his response was like, it's really hard for him to watch young musicians or any, any musician play a song because immediately he's like, wants to arrange it differently. Like he wants to change the way the chord progression's happening or the type of guitar used or the tone used or even the way that's being sung. Like, because he's an expert and he's an artist too, right? right? And so right. it's very hard for him to listen to other people or especially take on his own music. Mm-hmm. And so I find that I was, I was asking you that question because of that, because like when you know something so well and you've done so much background information and read so many different scholars on these books, like it's mm-hmm. got to be so hard to hear someone right. else kind of, because uh, like a lot of pastors don't have, you've committed so much time and research to this area. And a lot of times pastors have like a week to prepare for the next, you know, chapter mm-hmm. of the Bible they're going to go through. Right. Well, I can relate to that. I actually shared or preached a song of songs at a church in New Zealand for the whole week. And after that week, the pastor told me he's he's not going to preach on the song of songs again. (laughs) 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 So it's both sides. You know, it's hard for the expert. Uh, It's also hard for the pastor because he or she knows that there is someone in the congregation that knows more or better than he does so it's a struggle on both sides yeah and and what advice would you have for um all of us regular readers who are approaching the song of songs or esther to help us with our own uh personal study of these books well first of all read read my book (laughs) okay another thing is that um there are different levels of meaning so don't just think that there's only one meaning in this book Uh, There are multiple meanings and multiple applications. Um, And then, um, let's see, try to be sensitive to the uh, Holy Spirit, uh, because I think everyone would read uh, these two books um, with different eyes um, and applied um, to their own specific context differently. I guess, yeah, try to be sensitive to what the spirit is going to reveal to you. Um, and the Song of Song is very sensual. You know, there are beautiful imageries. There, it appeals to a sense of uh, smell, sight, touch, feelings. It's a poetic world. So don't try to use the logical mind to analyze human behavior or why is the, is the song like story or drama, because it's not. It's very jumpy from scene to scene. It's like different songs and uh, weaved together. Um, And so I guess that's the poetic world, and we need to use our feelings to feel the song rather Mm. than to read the song, literally. And then for the Book of Esther, I guess, try to see that drama Um, in our own world um, because just like in our daily walk with God we may not hear God's voice like audible voice Um, God may work behind the scenes or through human responsibility and actions Uh, we try to discern God's activity just like the characters in 
um, the book of Esther. You know, they they don't see God, they don't hear God, but they have to act um, justly, um, do the next right thing um, with the wisdom that God has given us. So I guess that's how I would suggest for readers to approach these two books. That That's super helpful. And um, I love something you said um, right at the beginning. You said it's important to acknowledge that there's not just one way to read these books. I want to maybe mm-hmm. expand on that because I feel like, especially when I was uh, very young and, and starting to read the Bible, I felt like there's there's basically one way to read this. And I want to get that one way, you know, and that's, that's the way that I was. And so can you kind of talk a little about that? Because I think that's a really important thing you just said. Okay, sure. Um, I've been teaching for a while, and um, some of my students, when they first um, came to seminary, they would have this concept, like what I just said. There's only one right way to read the Bible. <laughs> um, but then as we study different methodologies, different interpretations, we see that, oh, the Bible is not just um, one way. It's multiple. There are multiple ways to look at it. and so we. We can, um, well, basically, there are three different uh, broad ways to look at uh, the Bible. The one is behind the text, where we study the history, the context of the Bible. And then there is in the text, in front, within the text, which is from a literary perspective, how the author of the Bible uh, tell the story, tell the biblical story uh, with different literary devices like personification. Or, or using metaphors, simile, that kind of thing, wordplay. And then there's the in front of the text, which is the readers. And so when we read the Bible, um, our personal experience, our gender, um, our race, um, our social location status would actually affect how we read the Bible and apply the Bible in our context. And so we need to acknowledge those things. And because of those, um, you know, behind the text, in the text, in front of the text, there would be multiple ways of reading the Bible rather than just one way. And a lot of times the meaning of um, the Bible is in the interaction between the reader and the text. So the meaning may not just reside with, within the, the author. And so as readers, as different readers, we can all contribute to the meaning of the text. And that meaning may transcend the author's uh, intentional um, meaning. So I, I just gave you a few minutes uh, less, uh, lesson on biblical interpretation. I love that. That's super helpful. That's super helpful. Because I feel like, um, you know, I have, so I have like the different commentaries to help me with kind of the, you know, reading of the text, the, I guess the, uh, the in between, like what's actually happening and also kind of the, you know, who wrote it and, or who we think wrote it and who the, who the, who the readers were. But I feel like sometimes my default is to read it like as myself. I'm coming to the Bible with my own personal experiences and I'm reading in it personally. And sometimes it's very hard to kind of go to what you just said about those like three ways of reading the Bible. 
You know what I mean? Like it's sometimes I default to the personal. Which is fine. Before we go, I wanted to ask you about, uh, for those of us that struggle with seeing God, um, struggle with the absence of God in our own lives, what would be some advice you would you would share? Well, um, if if you're out there and you're struggling, um, and if you're able to go out, and I would suggest you to be in God's nature, uh, whether it's to look at the trees, the ocean, sunset. Um, think about, trying to think about God behind those um, God's creation. And then, um, because um, in front of beautiful creation, our problems will seem small. And then um, there will be space and room to think beyond our current struggles. So that's one thing I suggest. Another thing is to um, talk to someone. Um, I I have a spiritual direct, director, and I see her once a month, and it has been very helpful in my faith journey. I can tell her everything, you know, um, just be honest with everything, like protest, lament, my dark side. Um, I don't hide anything from her. And her place is to listen to the Holy Spirit at the same time, listen to me, and then trying to, not to judge me, but to to pray with me and try to discern what God is doing in my life. So mm. at one point, I was very um, frustrated about some things that's been happening in my life. And I told her and I said, I didn't know what God is doing. And I don't feel that God is here or he's, he's not with me, that kind of feeling. And then, and then she said, she said, God has been very busy with you. And then I thought, oh, I, I never thought of it that, that way, that God has been busy, busy with me, meaning that I am still in the process of God's work. I'm still, she, God is still shaping me and forming me. That's why a lot of things happen in my life for me to, to learn and to adjust and to come out from that. And so I think having someone um, spiritually mature to listen to you, to pray with you, and for you, that would be very helpful. Another thing would be, um, in my book, I, uh, one of the chapters is about the festivals, the feasts, um, because Song of Songs um, is associated with the Jewish um, feast of Passover. And then Esther is uh, with the Purim. And these two festivals, they are about God's salvation, God's deliverance. And so even though these two books themselves did not, not mention God's name, but then they're associated with the two religious festivals. And that um, reminds us that we can find God in unlikely places. We can find God in a loving human community. We can find God in watching a very meaningful movie or in looking at a beautiful picture. Anything beauty, anything good, um, pure, we can find God in those things. So I guess we, we can try to find God intentionally. Any, anything that gives you a sense of awe 
beauty. I think God is behind it. If any of us、um, is facing injustice, something or something tragic is happening,、um, maybe God、uh, may not do as we want immediately. But eventually, you know, everyone has to be accountable to God, and so from an eternal perspective, from a long shot,、uh, we have to trust that God will make things right. I, I like to think like that; otherwise, it will be hopeless. So, that will be some of the things I, I can think of or suggest for those who are struggling. That's that beautiful advice.、Um, well, Dr. San, I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much, Mike, for your time and for reading the book, and for your questions. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation with Dr. Chloe T. Sun about her research on divine absence in Scripture and her latest book entitled "Conspicuous in His Absence: Studies in the Song of Songs and Esther," which is published by InterVarsity Press. I'm curious about how this conversation on God's absence in Scripture has impacted you. Let me know by messaging me on Instagram, TikTok, or Twitter at Dogato Podcast. You can also reach me on my blog at mikedogato.org. Next time, we're learning from Tish Harrison Warren about ways to pray when we're feeling faithless, angry, or resentful towards God. We also chat with her about her latest book entitled "Prayer in the Night for Those Who Work or Watch or Weep." It's a healing conversation for all of us who have felt unheard by God. And maybe unsure how to pray during the darkest nights. So that's next time. And if you found this podcast helpful in any way, please let me know by rating the show on iTunes and/or leaving a comment. Your vote can help this show get more visibility. Thank you so much. Take care, and we'll chat more next time.